Before we get started, I feel I need to in some way acknowledge the times we're living in right now and add my own small voice. I'm not black, nor can I claim to be any kind of member of a persecuted population. I'm a white, male, heterosexual, and I don't know anything about persecution, and I am a product of my privilege. I won't pretend that I can understand what it means to be black in America, but I do understand pain, and it seems like there's a lot of it going around at this moment. The death of George Floyd and what's happened since is sadly just the latest expression of inequality. My heart goes out to communities of color and everyone who is hurting and are in pain right now and feel that justice isn't likely to be done. I feel it's my place to listen, support, and ally myself in any way that helps. But this isn't about me. It's about us as a country, and I hope we can make progress. With that, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. This episode is my first compilation episode, so please bear with me. I'm trying this out. I would love your feedback if you enjoy this type of episode or if you don't. The question that I ask most guests is, what's one piece of advice for B2C founders? On this episode, I'm going to feature some of their responses. I have in the show notes all the guests that I feature and the times which they speak, so you can jump through if you want to hear someone specific. I'm going to be transitioning quickly from guest to guest on this and then share my thoughts at the end. So here we go. First up is Kiva Dickinson. So Kiva, what's one piece of advice that you have for founders of B2C companies? You know, rather than rather than focus on kind of what to what to do or, or something to, to sort of do differently. I'll I'll try to shed some light on you know in the in the context of fundraising what, what's something common amongst VCs who they probably inevitably have to deal with. Um, VCs are are inherently scared for one reason or another. Um, you know they're they're uh, scared that. You know the the uncommon insight that that they may be trying to bet on is wrong. They're scared that they're going to pick the wrong horse in the race. They're scared that uh, even if they pick the right horse, that horse is going to pull away too too slowly, um, and and they'll have needed to show progress along the way to their peers and their limited partners. Uh, I think the reshifting or reframing of why VCs uh, stagnate during a fundraising process or why they ultimately say no um, towards them just being fundamentally scared might just change the way that a founder approaches the, the dialogue and storytelling and, and responsive due diligence um, towards trying to help very clearly present a story that can coherently resonate um, and, and proof points that really connect to um, what might be the fears and hesitations that the VCs have. Um, we're often not presented that way. Um, and, you know, for, for better or worse, I, I, I think the, the sort of lack of, of empathy across both sides often leads to some miscommunications. And so, um, I think I think that best advice would would probably be um, you know focus on how to help first diagnose uh, what might truly be holding them back 
and then collaborate to try to you know get them over the hump. Next up, we have Gotham Gupta. Gotham, what is one shared learning that you have over your career, both as a founder and investor? My my kind of shared learning is that I think consumer behavior and consumer insights matter a ton, and so you know understanding the consumer insight that drives the business is incredibly important, I think. And so that's, that is kind of my, my learning that, that I would share, you know, which is that um, just getting to that consumer insight early into the business was something that I, I wish I had done better, you know, in, as an operator. Next up, we have Nicole Quinn. Nicole, what's one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? I always say when you're thinking about storytelling, when you're thinking about hiring, when you're thinking about your any aspect of your business, really think big in that storytelling because this is not just what are you doing for the next year. This is you building this hopefully over the next decade and what the world will look like as a result of having your company in it. So all the very best companies have all started with actually a smaller market like eBay and Beanie Babies or Uber and Black Cars or Airbnb and uh, Sleepy on Couches, but they've expanded into a huge market. And so I love that idea of thinking big, thinking about really creating a market, transforming a market. And uh, that's the advice I would give to founders when talking about your startup. Next up, we have Rishi Garg. Rishi, what's one piece of advice that you have for a founder that's building a B2C business? One piece of advice. Well, I guess the the, the thing I come back to quite often is to ask folks, like, what business are you really in? What emotion are you tapping into? What solution are you trying to build for the consumer? In very many cases, there's sort of the product and the solution that you think you're providing. It's sort of like the tactical one. But behind that, there's a the business that you're, that you're really in, the, the, the payoff that you're really providing. And um, that usually is an emotional payoff. That's usually something in the heart, not in the head. And when you can tap into that, you can create, I think, a more interesting and more impactful company. Next on this episode is David Wu. David, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? I was talking a few months ago with one of my mentors on the marketing side, um, a, a woman named Jelle Bisharat, and she's actually starting a company that we've invested in called Naked Poppy and the clean beauty side. And she mentioned that unlike what most people traditionally think, that when you think about how to define product market fit, it's not net promoter score. And it's not this, would you recommend it to a friend? Now, net promoter score is a great metric later on in a business that kind of has a lot of correlations for how well your business will do in terms of how it will grow. But it's not actually a great metric of early product market fit. And, and what she taught me was that Product market fit isn't defined by would you tell a friend about this company or this product. Early product market fit is really defined by how upset would you be if this company, product, or service went away, which is much more of a proxy for how much are you integrating this product, service, or company into your everyday life. And a great example I use on the VR side is there are some amazing experiences out there like the void uh and, and anybody who hasn't tried the star wars void experience it really kind of gives a taste of this location-based experience of what vr could become um it's sort of an 11 out of 10 on a net promoter score which is i think you you will talk to anybody walking out of the void and ask them would you recommend this to a friend they're all going to say of course that was an amazing experience but then you ask them 
how upset would you be if this company or this, this experience went away and you're going to get a lot of, you know, from the scale of not very upset to kind of upset to incredibly upset, you're going to get a lot of not very upset because it's a ride. It's something you may go on once in a lifetime or once a year, but it's not something that is important to your everyday life. Um, and so that's sort of an example of the disconnect. So what I would, my, my piece of advice was early on, really focus on this concept of, can you build a company brand service that people are going to integrate so deeply into their everyday lives that they can't even imagine a world without this company? And, and I think if you worry more about that, instead of spending all your time worrying about paid marketing or how you're going to arbitrage your CAC to LTV on Facebook and Google, you'll get to that those innings later on. But if you build the brand and a set of products and services that people truly, truly love and can't even imagine it going away and it would be devastating, you're going to do just great. Next up, we have Charles Hudson. So Charles, what's one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? In this sort of readjustment period that we're going through in the investment world right now, which is, I think, we're shifting from sort of growth at all costs, grow, 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 to something that feels a little bit more like grow, but be mindful that it has to work out in the end. I would just say for consumer companies, you're going to feel that pressure even more than your B2B partners will. And so be mindful that the bar for evidence around traction and business model is, is higher than it's ever been for companies in the consumer space, which is not a problem. I just think it means you have to validate that stuff sooner. And also, I would say for many consumer companies, the range of financing options you have at your disposal is much, wise, is much wider than venture capital. And the best founders that I know are thinking about, well, how do I mix venture capital maybe with some kind of revenue-based financing to maybe get to a place where we can take private equity and different, like they're just thinking in much more creative ways about their capital structure. And I think that's not something that's as easy to do for a B2B company. Next on this episode, we have Caitlin Strandberg. So Caitlin, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? Have an answer to the Amazon question. Amazon, maybe, yeah, maybe read my book recommendation, The Everything Store. But um, but Amazon is like a really big, I mean, it's a really big player in the space. They're doing all sorts of things. You know, Amazon, for example, has offers, you know, almost 7,000 private label products. And they run over 100 private labels. And so it's likely that Amazon has a product that's competing in your space with data you don't have access to which is fine. Um, but it's important for the, you know, the founders to be aware of what they have, to have thought through the Amazon question, to think about will they distribute, a, will Amazon be a distribution channel or not? Um, just have some deeper thinking around that. If you don't have an answer, it's unfortunately like one of these like monopoly squares, like do not pass go. Um, you've just got to be thinking about the market and have some contextual awareness around on what a company like Amazon is doing. Consumer intent, massive on Amazon. That search engine, that search bar is such a powerful piece of property on the internet. Um, and and if you're starting a company or if you have a company in B2B and you don't know who the top three brands are in whatever category you're selling in on Amazon, then you know that's, that's not a good signal. That's not a good sign because that's really who you're competing with. Maybe not private label, but whoever is selling with Amazon. And so you're competing for kind of mind share and market share there. Or if you're not going to have an Amazon strategy, which is great, you don't have to, be definitive about why. Many of our companies do not have an Amazon strategy. Thank you, Caitlin. Next up, we have Mike Duda. So Mike, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? 
Here's the thing, you got to empathize with your, your who you empathize. Empathy, we think, is a, a killer app, so to speak. You know, those who display empathy towards the consumers and their customers that they're serving usually do well. It's also empathizing with, like, to some degree, the VC across the table, which not enough the other way. But when I say don't listen, if if ever if each entrepreneur listened to each VC, it's just like they would get they would build the worst company would go to to hell. You know, VCs don't run companies as a whole, right? So I I hate all VC boards. I think that's a really bad thing. I think it's just like it's too much of one thing. Independent board members are great, but empathize the customer, but but don't overly listen. It when you think about it, it, it's really tough what we ask entrepreneurs to do is like keep your head down and bulldoze, you have to build and da-da-da, and then fail fast, which I hate. Listen, pivot, make sure you're listening to that. It's like, how do you do both things one human being? Like we were literally asking people to be a, a business version of bipolar, and that is that is completely unfair. Um, so it's just like when I say empathize, it's like maybe realize where it's coming from, but um, you know, there's there's a great quote from one of our LPs, the founder of Under Armour, Kevin Plank. And he said, Under Armour succeeded because he was naive enough to not know what they couldn't accomplish. You know, he didn't come from the fashion industry, he didn't come from the apparel industry. He's like, why can't it do? But he but he was like focused on the athlete and, and that side. And I think it's a tough thing to do because in many ways it's like, well, if we want to raise money, we have to play the DC game versus you know, um, one of the things I've said way too often probably is I think there's two great business movies of all time. One is Godfather for obvious reasons. The other one is Office Space. And it's funny how I think I'm operating more off Office Space where there's a little bit of the fuck it. I'm just going to do what I think is right kind of element to it that is that just works. And if you spend too much time, like, what is what do I want this other person to, what do they want to hear based on the stuff they've done or whatever? You're going to lose your own plot. So I'd say empathize, but don't listen, which I know sounds counterintuitive or a collision, but but very purposely so. Empathize, but don't listen. I really like that. And it's hard because it's like there's no one right way of doing it. Like an ideal investor for one uh, for one entrepreneur might be someone who's hands-on and is almost uh, a chairman of the company. We look at our roles to provide perspective. It's just like the pressure test. Like we we try to we try to stay naive. And fire questions like, well, what about this? What about this? What about the consumer and those things? And just offer up a perspective versus mandating X, Y, or Z. And again, we're not, we don't own 30, 20 to 30% stakes in companies, but you know, it's just, there's, there's not a one right too. And, and by no means am I damning how other VCs do it. I mean, who am I to do it? Uh, we're much smaller in that, but it's, it's just our point of view and perspective on things. But there's no one silver bullet way, which would be easy, but there just really isn't. And so different entrepreneurs just different, need a different level of support or, quite frankly, a lack thereof. Next up, we have Paul Martino. So, Paul, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? Really understand what your unfair customer acquisition strategy is. I know that sounds lame. I, I, you're going to sit there and go, well, of course, you're a consumer company. How are you going to acquire customers? I, I see a lot of consumer companies come in and they talk about the product roadmap. They talk about the lifetime values but they don't really ever talk to me about what their unfair customer acquisition strategy is at scale. The companies on the consumer side that win have a channel or a set of channels that are crushing the competition, whether it be paid search, whether it be SEM, SEO, whether it be some viral mechanic. Uh, and I see too many consumer companies get stuck in the ultimate unit economics, profitability, lifetime value. You know what, when you come into my office and you're a consumer company, all that is interesting, but if you can't get to massive uh, adoption scale, it doesn't matter. 
So so don't don't miss the forest from the trees here. Next up, we have Lee Howard. Lee, what's one piece of advice that you have for a founder of a B2C business? Trust your gut. It's a very simplistic thing. And, you know, everyone makes decisions and analyzes the world in different ways. But it's very easy to overanalyze things, especially early on in the life of the company. And you don't want to make terrible decisions. Making terrible decisions is rarely produces good outcomes. But making pretty darn good decisions quickly is way more important than making the precise right decision slowly. And there's lots of different permutations of this, right? There's the, you know, good be the enemy of great. Don't let great be the enemy of good or perfect be the enemy of great. I forget what the, the, the phrase is. And, but basically, at the early stage, there's so much to do and you have to move very, very quickly. And there's just no, not that many people or not that much resources around you. So you have to do lots of things based on, you know, instinct and gut, in addition to analysis, in addition to thoughtful perspective. But, you know, really more than anything, I think trusting your gut is super important for such founders. And that's true whether you're talking about you're making a, a, a product decision around this, what, you know, what should, what should we do? Bringing in some talented people, should, should we bring them in and not bring them in? It also goes into tough decisions too, right? So, when uh, an early member of the team is, is not working out and your gut tells you that that's what, what you should do, you should, you should take action. Don't wait three months. So um, trust your gut. It, it's important to make good decisions quickly than the precise right decision very slowly. Next up, we have Ari Abacasas. So Ari, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? So my, uh, if I had to choose one, uh, I would say get into startups for the right reason. Some of the most successful founders do it because they truly feel like it's a calling and they are solving a problem that they are passionate about and determined to figure out rather than you know, some of the other uh, potential benefits of be, being founders, you know, fame, fortune, uh, et cetera. Uh, so I would just challenge founders before you start your business, ask yourself, are you doing it um, for the right reasons? And are you truly passionate enough uh, about the business that you are willing to make the sacrifices that will be required uh, personally, financially, et cetera, for the first several years of getting it off the ground? So that, that would be you know, one source of feedback I would give. Next up, we have Natalie Dillon. So Natalie, what is one piece of advice that you have for B2C founders? Paid acquisition can be a self-enhancing drug and to be very, very careful. It can be addictive. Um, And I think, frankly, sometimes it really hides product market fit. And so while it may be very attractive to initially grow, you know, your top line users, um, I think it, it can sometimes come at... Uh, a cost in the long term, particularly in the brand and the quality of users and customers that you're getting in. Um, and so my advice would be to be incredibly, incredibly careful and prudent with, with paid advertising. And, um, you know, in the beginning, really just listen to your customers, listen to your customers that are really loyal and, and love the product and, and build around that loyal and obsessive uh, cult following and, and, and build from there because um, paid marketing can, can be a dangerous roller coaster to, to stay on. And there you have it. So one of my biggest learnings from these interviews is the importance of distribution. I believe the majority of the responses on this episode had something to do with unique distribution strategy. Investors and founders I speak with can't stress this enough. And it wasn't something that I initially focused on. 
I also really appreciated and enjoyed hearing about the skill or becoming comfortable making decisions very quickly without much data and really having to trust your gut a lot of the time. Kiva's comment from the beginning about VCs being scared that they're going to be missing on opportunities kind of goes back to originally as well that VCs need entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs don't necessarily need VCs. On a final note, I also encourage you all to take Caitlin's advice and read the everything story about Amazon. I finished it up back in January and it's simply terrific. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.